Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Father, we thank you for the reading of the Word. We thank you, Father, for enlightening our minds and our hearts to show us what you want us to see today. I thank you for this community that, Father, we are united together in love and acknowledgement of you as king and sovereign over all of your people and all over this earth in heaven above and the earth below. We thank you, Father, for the revelations that you bring to the things that you've spoken to these words in your Torah and in the prophets and in the New Testament writings. We give thanks to you in Yahushua's name. Amen. All right, we're there. Was that last part my phone, or was that you playing the, the reading? Were you playing the reading, or was my phone doing it? Oh, I didn't need this. Okay. Wow, that was cool. Okay. All right, so we're, as we said, Exodus, Shemot, 18, 1 through 19, 6. And so what are we going to talk about today? So I want to share this with you. Here at Living Messiah, we've got new people. We've got new people online. We've been reaching a lot of places, and I want to be sure everybody understands why we do our study this way. So we like to break down the meaning of the words and the verses based on the lexicons or dictionaries of the original languages, Greek and Hebrew. This gives us more clarity of what is being said. This is how we study here. And so today, uh, we're going to talk about the prophet like Moses. We're going to talk about falling asleep in Yahushua. We're going to talk about the coals from the altar, dull ears, dim eyes, and fat hearts. Healing, returning, and kingdom of priests. Those are our topics we're going to talk about today. And so, again, we're going to be moving through those to get clarity about those, because these are the things that are talked about in our portions. And uh, we're going to end talking about us as a kingdom of priests. What does that mean? What, what are we supposed to do as a kingdom of priests? So let's begin in John chapter 6, our next portion. And we're going to begin with verse 14. It says, Therefore then... The people saw the sign which he had performed. How many of you know what sign that was? What sign had he just completed in John chapter 6, 14? Anyone know? Feeding the people bread. And we talked about last week the bread that came from heaven. How he tells them that I am the bread from heaven. Moses gave you bread. And so they say, well, this truly is the prophet who is to come to the world. And so my question is, is it because of what he had just done, he had just performed a miracle like Moses, and they're saying, okay, well, he must be the prophet. But the question is, what prophet? So Matthew eleven three says, and they said to him, are you the, this is John's apostles uh, asking Yeshua, are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? Who is it? What is it they're looking for? John one twenty one says, they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? 
And he said, no, this is the priest coming and asking John who he is. So look at what Acts chapter 7, 37 says. This is Moses, referring to Yahushua, who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses' words. Moses is saying to the children of Israel, he is going to raise up a prophet to you like me from among your brethren. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai and who was with our fathers and he received living oracles to pass on to you. Now listen to this. Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to Moshe, but repudiated him and in their hearts turned back. Our text says Egypt, but I like to say really back to Baal, to Ishtar, and Molech, all of the false gods that's really behind everything that's going on now and that's been going on since everyone got off the boat and probably before the boat. So, of course, as Dan said, the sign was the bread and the fish. Moses fed them. Why didn't he say, thank God, that now that the master has died, and we're in Acts, now that the master has died, we no longer have to be obedient. Instead of they were will, unwilling to obedient. Why doesn't the writer in Acts say, you know what? The people were unwilling to be obedient to Moses. And now that Messiah died, you can all be just like they were in the wilderness. You can be disobedient too. But he doesn't, does he? He's got a great opportunity here. Messiah has already died and risen. But he's using this as a proof text that not only were they disobedient, but you're being disobedient. I have another couple of questions for you. And I want some feedback. If you're like Moses, you are a teacher of righteousness, you're just, you're a leader of the people, which Moses was, you are a priest, you're a doer of the Torah, you have seen the heavenly tabernacle, your body has been forever, bringer of manna, you are a worker of miracles, and what else can you, and even blank here, what else do you know that Moses did that Yeshua did? Think about it a second. Because, say again. Fasting for 40 days. Awesome. What else? Got Mike, Mike here and Mike over here, both places. We got two mics there somewhere. Microphones. <laughs> oh, we got one mic that I know of. Someone have their hand over here? Okay, go ahead. Um. Well, this is kind of similar. Yeshua walked on water, and Moses lighted the water to walk through. <laughs> walk through, walk on the water, walk through the water. That's good. Yes, go ahead. Um, did he advocate? Um, I don't know. I might get it mixed up. Like, advocated for the people? Yes. Okay. Yep. So yep. he's our advocate? Yep. Yep. He advocated for the people? Absolutely. Good. Very good. Uh, Renee has one. Where's that other mic at? I know I gave it away to. Paul. Paul's nowhere to be found. He heard directly from the Father and spoke his words to the people. Oh. So my point here, uh, Barry's got a, uh, something to add to the list. 
Look on your table. Does anybody see a microphone in front of them? Both perform miracles. Ah, it's right there. Say again, both what? Right behind you. He said performed miracles. Yep, performed miracles. They were both falsely accused. Ah, very nice. That's a biggie. Very nice. Falsely accused, yes, yep. And, and willing to, hey, not only falsely accused, but both the people were willing to draw and quarter them. <laughs> right? I mean, they were willing to just you know, run them down, right? Anything else? Beth? Uh, they were both in a time when, when they were uh, babies. Like, they were like a massive slaughter. So. Drawn from, yeah, being drawn from, that's right, drawn from water. So here, let me tell you where we're going with this. I'm going to read Romans 6, 8. It says, Now, if we have died with Messiah, we believe that we shall also live with him. Now, where am I going with this? I'm going to finish in verse 9 of Romans 6. So I saw something this week that's kind of interesting. Moses died outside the promised land with everybody that wasn't allowed to be all the disobedient people Moses a righteous teacher died outside of the land with those that didn't do what was right remember that Yahushua died outside of the tabernacle so watch this so knowing that Messiah having been raised from the dead is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. So I'm going to show you where we're going to go with that. Deuteronomy 18.15 Yahweh your Elohei will raise up for you a prophet like. The word like here is the Hebrew word kimo, and it means like, but I like this definition as. A prophet as Moses. Just like him. I mean, not just similar, but this is it's as if Moses was here. From among your countrymen, which is important, you shall listen to him. Now, I want to stop on this phrase here. You shall listen to him. If the people were supposed to listen to Moses' words, which he's declaring the words that Yahushua spoke, and Yahushua is like Moses, Aren't we supposed to still listen to what he said? Yes. So this is according to all that you asked, Yahweh your Elohei in Horeb, on the day of the assembling, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of Yahweh my Elohei. Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. What's interesting is, is they did not want to hear this voice from heaven but the voice that was speaking in heaven became flesh, and now they get to hear it as a man speaks to a man. And yet we still have generations of people still unwilling to hear it. Yahweh said to me, they have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Hmm. In contrast to a prophet who deceives the people, Acts 7.12, evoking 
Deuteronomy 13, 15 and, thir- and, and 13, I'm sorry, 13, 5 and, and 13, the true prophet like Moses will not speak presumptuously on his own, but would speak the words God commanded him. Remember, Moses is only speaking what the Father has spoken to him. Oh, I remember the Master saying something like that. Uh, he says in John 12, 49, I did not speak of my own initiative, Yahushua says, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. So in this same instance, he's like Moses. He's not going to speak anything other than what the Father is telling him to say. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. So Moses, um, he was speaking what the Father was telling him to say. Yes. And all the people said, all you have said, we will do. All that was said, <laughs> yeah. we will do. Yeah. And Yeshua is telling us, he's coming you know, the same way. This is what way. the Father has said, and this is what I'm saying. But what's lacking is the people, they, you know, majority of the people just believe they don't say all what you have said we will do. Yep. So, you know, Moses and Yeshua is faithful to the Father, but, and then for a little while, the, the children were faithful, but we, a lot of us today are not faithful. We, we never even made that commitment. We didn't even agree to that covenant coming in in the first place. So I want to share this with you. It says here, uh, Moses claims that he is speaking the words that God commanded him to say. But isn't that what got him in trouble? He did not do what he said to do. Remember? This is what got him to not be able to go in the land. Because imagine the master coming and falling in that same place of what Moses did is one instance failing to do what the master said, and yet we're supposed to be like Yeshua, as it says in the, in the New Testament, we are to walk like he walked, which means we should be doing everything that the Father has proclaimed everywhere. Very interesting. So, Moses dies in the wilderness with those banned from entering into the promise. Yeshua dies outside the camp. What are the connections? Anyone can think of any? Moses dies outside the land of Israel. And there's this, let me read to you, I'll I'll help you out. This is a commentary. The fact that Moses died in the wilderness gave his death special atoning power, and this is commentary, for the wilderness generation. Why did Moses die in the wilderness? In order that the wilderness generation should return and rise again through his merits. In reference of Isaiah 53.12 to Moses, and we read, and he is numbered with the transgressors. Now, they're supposing that this verse, that he is numbered with the transgressors, is not only referring to the coming Messiah, but also referring, because remember, Moses is like the coming Messiah. They're one like another. So if Yeshua is numbered with the transgressors, meaning his death is atonement for those who were outside the camp, this commentary is connecting that maybe Moses also is dies outside the camp for those generation that he was with that died outside. I'm not saying that's what happened. This is what the commentary says. So it's very interesting to me that both of these die 
outside. One outside the tabernacle, one outside the land. Very, very interesting. So it goes on to say, in this context, his death in the wilderness is atonement for the sins in the wilderness. Moses' death atoned for all that had to die in the wilderness because of the Baal Peor incitement to idolatry, foreign wives. We too were dead in the wilderness the wilderness, because we were the ones booted out of the land. So we were literally out in the wilderness, separate from Messiah, separate from the covenant. So he died, Yeshua died for us and atoned for us. Interesting connection. Not saying I buy that, but it's, it's an interesting similarity of the two being dead outside the land. Any comments about that before we move into our prophet portion? Our prophet, yes, Dan. Uh, just thinking of another connection here in John chapter, oops, sorry, in John, I know I was going to get in trouble real quick. John chapter 5, verse 45 and on, it says, Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father, speaking to the Jews that were around him. He said, It is the one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you <laughs> believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Amen. So their words were the same, the yep. words of the Father. Right? Yep, yep. It's very interesting. Great connection. Our prophet portion is Isaiah chapter 6. And so we're going to dig into what Isaiah 6 says. We're going to be, begin with verse 1. It says, in the year of King Uzziah's death. How many of you know what year King Uzziah died? King Uzziah died in 739 BCE. Now what happened at King Uzziah's death? Anybody remember what happened at his death? A great what? Earthquake, yes. Remember this is the, the, the earthquake, the huge earthquake that caused the people to flee. He talks about ones coming again, and they're going to flee the same way they did in the earthquake at, at, at King Uzziah's death. So, just to give you some background, well, we're going to go over that here in a minute. There's, there's a reason why I got excited about chapter 6 here. Because I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at context, and I'm like, okay, who is he talking to here? Who, who is the audience? Who is he being sent to? So he says, in the year of King Uzziah, I saw the Almighty sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted, with his train of his robe filling the temple. The seraphim stood above him, having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called out to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh Zevaot. The whole earth is full of his glory. So there is a fascinating truth about the use of the word holy in Scripture. To make the superlative in English, we add EST to a word or the words most, such as holiest. In Hebrew, however, the superlative may be expressed by saying something three times. So instead of holiest, they would say holy three times. So notice, therefore, it's interesting that when the angels exalted God, they didn't say eternal, 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 or faithful, 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 or wise, 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 or mighty, 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 or loving, 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 or even gracious, gracious, gracious. They said holy, 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 is Yahweh Zevaot, the whole earth is full of his glory. It demonstrates that Elohim's holiness is the crown of all that he is. Remember what he says. 
I am holy. Treat me as holy. Verse 6 of Isaiah 6. Then one of the seraphim was sent to me, and he had in his hand a live coal that he had taken from the altar with the tongs. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, and this is from the Septuagint, which is different than what you're going to see in your English. This has touched your lips, and it will take away your lawlessness and purify your sins. Now that's an interesting thing that the coal is able to do that. How is that possible? Which altar? Hmm? So this, this is interesting because, and I, I would say this is probably a reason why Yahushua has to be the Melchizedek priest. He's not officiating here. He's officiating in a place where this coal came from. The Melchizedek priest, Yahushua, he's from the heavenly tabernacle, which the things here are just a picture of, it's a representation of, but that is where I would present to you that when Yahushua dies and he goes up into heaven, uh, this, this is where everything, all this stuff is taking place. This, this is just a shadow picture of what's going on up here. And so this, this coal is coming from the altar and the offering, the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. And because it's coming from there, because remember, there is no time in, in heaven. There's, I mean, it, 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 it goes from beginning of time to end. There's no time stamp on it. It can go forward. and There's no time on it. And so just as David looked forward to that time of Yeshua's death, this coal is taken from the place of the sacrifice of Yeshua because there's no other way a coal could bring about atonement unless it was from the offering of the master himself. That's what's special about this coal from the heavenly altar. Yes. I find that so amazing. Well, so amazing. I have a question about that. So would this be the same coal of the, um, the fire that could never go out? They had to continually burn? So it, and it's interesting because there's a constellation in the heavens. It's called yeah. the, the altar. Because the and altar of incense is used by that coal. And that constellation, that flame that's depicted on it, ain't, it doesn't ever go out. It's constantly there. Forever burning. Since creation. Hasn't stopped, not going to stop. Go ahead, Bob. In this verse, Isaiah 6, 6, the word for tongs in Hebrews, Malkakayim, and it's used six times, actually seven times. Six times it's used in reference to the tabernacle. Mm. And the seventh time is here. So when it says that um, the seraphim took the coal and touched his lip there, it's actually a representation of making him like a menorah and being a light to the world. And so when he's touching his lips, it's from his mouth. And so it says, um, oh darn. Be a light to the world, we have to be touched with God's fire, and what has to be touched is our lips, because out of the abundance of the heart, the lips speak. 
Now that is awesome in light of what where we're going to go at the end. Because when you make a connection, what Bob just said about that coal touching his lips to purify him so he would be a witness and a voice to the nations, this is what the priesthood, the kingdom of priests that God has called his people to be, they were called to be that voice, that light and example to the nation. And that's, that's where we're going to go. So thank you. That's a great piece to what's, what we're going to be talking about later. Verse 8, Then I heard the voice of Yahuwah saying, Whom should I send and who will go to this people? My question is, who is this people? And I said, Oh, here I am, send me. And he said, Okay, go and say to this people, You will listen by listening, but you're not going to understand. You will look, looking, but you'll not look, and you will not perceive. Romans 11.25 says, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened. And I said this on a previous teaching. I think it's the house of Israel until the fullness of the goyim, meaning the whole nation, comes in. By the way, since the time that this goes forth, in 739 BCE until the northern kingdom is taken captive, it's 17 years. Now God is giving, and I'm going to, I'm going to uh, present to you that this message that he's giving Isaiah is going to the northern kingdom. And I'll give you my examples of why I believe that. So, if this is, as I'm going to show, demonstrate, that this message is going, because the northern kingdom are people who still today are listening but not really listening. There are people that are still not understanding and looking but not looking and still aren't perceiving. I mean, you know, people in your own family that just aren't getting it. So don't tell me that your Elohim is not merciful to give 17 years to repent from the time the message goes forth until he brings Bab Babylon, or I'm sorry, Assyria, to the northern kingdom to bring destruction. Because if you read chapter 6, it's about destruction coming. And remember, Jeremiah was sent for 23 years before the destruction came. So we've got two markers, two witnesses that God waited 23 years and 17 years before he brought the destruction, after sending the message to repent. Oh, what a merciful God we serve. He's got his hand up. Man, what a merciful God we serve. I'm chatterbox today, but uh, it reminds me of the, um, the law where um, if you have a stubborn child, you know, your child don't make a mistake, and then you take them to the judge to be stoned. It's time after time. So it's like, you know, he was merciful and waited. Just we as parents, you come to a time where you child is just not going to listen, then there you take them to the judge and are punished. Yeah. So, our, our God shows, doesn't he, that there is a time for consequences. Dan. We were reading through this this morning, and we thought we'd start in chapter 1 and get context. I would say that it's you could definitely say neither kingdom is seeing and hearing one rejects torah right. the other rejects messiah yep 
So if you reject either one, you're rejecting Yahuwah, and you're not hearing or seeing. But in Isaiah 1, 2, and 3, he's speaking to Jerusalem, Judah and Jerusalem. Well, read verse, read chapter Isaiah 5, verse 5, and then skip and read verse 7. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present to you, because chapter 5 is the context of what's fixing to happen in 6. He's going to tell uh, uh, Isaiah to go. So I think five and five and seven are telling us who it is that this is messages to. Well, we are talking about those this morning. So, so let me tell you what I am going to do in verse five to my vineyard. Whoop! Now he says, "I'm telling you what I'm going to do to my vineyard." Verse seven tells you who the vineyard is. Who is it? Well, let me read the whole verse. For the vineyard of Yahweh is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah, his delightful plant, thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For the righteous, but behold, a cry of distress. I think he's bringing both, both. kingdoms right into there. And, and actually, both are going to get judgment. One's going to get it 200 years later than the other one. But uh, yeah, both are going to get it. But yeah, so we, we see that it's not just Judah, Israel. The northern kingdom is, is getting this judgment 17 years in advance. Judah now gets way much further uh, a time to repent than the northern kingdom does. So here's an interesting part. The punishment is laid out here in our prophet portion. And it was due to the turning away from Elohim's instructions. They are our life, those instructions. They turned away from the very life, the word, the, the manna. So really, if you turned away from the word, you've turned away from Yeshua in, in both aspects. Very interesting. So, verse 10 says, For this people, whether you want to say it's one or the other or both, their heart has grown shaman. The verb, the adjective shaman, and the nouns, Speak with one, with, except one exception, where the hearts are fat and sensitive, unresponsive. So when he says fat, it means your hearts are insensitive and your hearts are not responding to my prophets, to my word. Nothing I'm doing, nothing I'm sending to you, nothing I'm speaking to you is getting through. It's of of well being and prosperity. They were. What does it say that when you, just before Yahushua comes, they're going to be what? Drinking and marrying and giving. This going to, they're going to be fat hearts. Because it's about being well and prosperous. So in Deuteronomy 32 and Jeremiah 5, God's people have become fat and prosperous and have turned from their God who made their prosperity possible. What is in view here is not obesity, but a state of well, being well fed, and healthy. Boy, the world is all about get healthy, right? Getting healthy. Interesting. Going on in verse 10. Their ears are dull and their eyes dim. And we're going to focus here on this word otherwise. What does otherwise mean? Otherwise is this word pen. Dull is this Hebrew word, kaved, heavy, it's like, like this grievous, hard, rich. This word dull, the first usage is found most often in relation to Pharaoh in seven places. 
Uh, Pharaoh's refusal to be sensitive to the situation or to the pleas of the Hebrew people is spoken of as heaviness or hardening of the heart. Similarly, the ears, as in ours, and the tongue and the eyes may become dull and insensitive, while the hands may grow weary. In, other, in the latter three cases, physical infirmity is involved, but the former expresses spiritual problems. Spiritual problems. People want to know how to how to how to, how do I get spiritual warfare? Well, I'm going to tell you right now. Spiritual warfare begins in reading God's word, applying it to your life, and getting on your knees in prayer. There's where your spiritual warfare begins. So he says, otherwise or lest. This word lest can also mean not. In other words, it's a preventative. But you might say, why would God prevent them from seeing it and hearing it? Because otherwise, they'll see and they'll hear and they're with their ears, they'll understand with their hearts, and they'll return to me and be healed. Why is he preventing them from doing that? For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery that you will not be wise in your own estimation. A partial hardening has happened, had to happen. Does God do that? Well, we just see it, it does. God's hardening people, just like he hardened Pharaoh for a purpose. What does it say in 2 Thessalonians? A delusion has come upon them. It's a prevention word. I want to show you this. Oh, here's the example uh, in, in, under the definition of pen. In biblical Hebrew, pen is a conjunction that negatives dependent clauses, and here's an example. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. See the prevention? If you touch it, you'll die. Like a preventative, the, the less. So, why? The reason is in Isaiah 5.24. Just context, just before 6, it says, for they have rejected the Torah of Yahweh Zevaot and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. They've rejected the Torah and despised the word. Are people doing that today? So we wonder, why is there hardening going on? Why are the people not seeing or their ears dull? It's all God's plan. God's in control. What's this about healed? Now this verse is quoted by the master. And I'm going to show you what he doesn't use the word healed. He uses something else. Mark 4.10, as soon as he was alone, his followers along with the twelve began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, you have been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside get everything in parables so that while seeing, they may not see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear but not understand it. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. You see, God's healing is really about the forgiveness. We think about, oh, he's healing the, the infirmity on my physical body. No, God's interested in healing what's going on in the inward man so that you return and be obedient and have the blessings come upon you. He wants to heal the soul of man. 
Because when you're forgiven, because you've repented, that's when the true healing begins. How many of you know that you today here stand as truly healed? Amen. A few hands went up on that, so let's get the mic to the hands. Go ahead. So um, what came to my mind was Psalm 34, um, and it says the, uh, there's several places here, the face of Yahuwah is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and Yahweh hears and delivers them out of their troubles. This is where it goes back to the heart. And Yahweh is near the brokenhearted. <laughs> and that word, when you talk about the fat heart, the content heart, the lofty heart, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Uh, the word for brokenhearted, there is, again, shabar, and it means hearts that have birthed, literally, are being crushed. And then also the word that's used for uh, the Christian spirit is dakah, which literally means to powder. So if you think of a physical person who has been brokenhearted and crushed to powder, then you would say they physically need to be healed. It's not just a spiritual thing. But these words are, again, yes. spiritual and physical. Yes. So it, it's, it's the healing has connections with where he actually and it rescues. starts in the soul because once the soul is healed then healing can come to the rest of the body once the heart is healed amen good word did someone else have their hand up okay yes go ahead Dan. we were looking at this this morning and all four gospel writers quote this out of isaiah but the first three they sandwich it right in between the parable of the sower, the heart, the soil of the heart, and the explanation of it. In between those, in between him giving that parable and explaining it, he quotes this chapter and says, To you it has been given to understand the things of the kingdom, but to them, the multitudes that are out there, they don't understand it. And then he goes on to explain the heart soils that it's an individual thing. Each heart soil, if they want to understand the word of Yahuwah, their heart has to repent before him and, and be seeking it. And so I would say in Matthew, it's, I'm, I'll make this quick. In Matthew, it's right on the heels of them accusing him of casting the demon out by Beelzebul. Yes. And he's saying, okay, you've crossed the line. You will not be forgiven this. I am judging you right now with blindness, just like Isaiah said, this prophecy is being fulfilled right now that you are blind. Only individuals who turn to me will be able to see, but as a group, you're blind yeah. because you've just accused yeah. Yahweh of yeah. being Satan. Yeah, good word. Again, there's, God has his purposes of, of hardening and blinding and letting it become dull. He has his reasons. I want to talk about this return as shuv. And let's look at this word healed. The Greek word is this, I'll, I'll mess it up, epestropho. It, the Greek word means to turn to, to the worship of the true Elohim. That's healing. To return to the worship of the Most High. To cause, to turn, return, and to bring back, figuratively, 
to the love and the obedience of Elohim. That's healed from a Greek, from, from the Septuagint that surpasses all of the other languages. Their understanding of this healing was that you are now turning back to God to obey Him, to walk in His statutes. As it says here, that they may be in or to walk in the wisdom of the righteous. Wow. Awesome. To be free from errors and sins, to bring about, to bring salvation. So you saying to me, returning and being healed brings about salvation? Absolutely. It sure does, because I'm saved of something. I'm saved of the death sentence that was against me. It, it removes the enemies from me. Then I said, Yahweh, how long? And he said, until cities are devastated without inhabitant, until houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. <laughs> until my word goes forth, and all that I promised happens. I said, if you don't, this is what's going to happen. So because you don't, this has to happen. Otherwise, he's not just and true. So we're going to transition into our Torah portion. And I want to start with some geography. Let's look at some geography first. So the blue dot, oh, I've got tools. I've got some tools here. So the blue dot here is where they cross this from the Red Sea, from the one sandy side to the other. And they made this journey over here to the split rock. They went from the split rock around this side to Mount Sinai, which is in Arabia. And this is where the 12 pillars and altar is and where the golden calf is. This is a shot from Google Earth. Here's what I want you to notice. Do you see all this black, burnt, charred rock here? You see how it's burnt here and burnt out here? Do you notice that this piece here is unburnt and this big piece is unburnt? I would propose to you that this is the two places the children of Israel encamped and the fire and the burning didn't touch them. They were protected from the scorch of the fire that burned all the rock everywhere around them, including Moses. Check this out. So here we have a zoomed in. Here's the burnt rock. This is the bigger piece of land here. Here's the burnt rock here. And so it's not burnt here, but this is where the golden calf altar is. This is where Moses' altar is, and the 12 pillars are here. Now right here, you can't see it. I'm going to zoom in on it, is some two white little specks there. Because up this canyon here is where Moses went up to the, the, the Almighty from this area here. And I'll show you what that looks like. So here is the golden calf. Here is the Moses altar where the uh, 12 pillars uh, are, are found there in the ground and where the, uh, the, the pen was that, that they moved the animals up to be slaughtered. So he just walked up this little canyon here to this spot right here. And on this little spot right here is a sheltering place where there's no burning. I don't know which one it was, but this is the canyon that would have been come up. So when he came down in fire, right there on Google Earth, you can see that there's a couple of places there that aren't burnt. Completely protected from the scorching of whatever turn 
that rock all black. And if you've watched the videos, the guys that have been up on the mountain, they turn the rocks over and they're completely different color on the other side. They're like the rocks down below. They're, they're like these rocks underneath, but on the top side, they're like this. So it's not obviously the way the rock has always been, okay, from creation. So this is where we're at. We're at this location here as we're entering into our Torah portion. This is where everything's happening at in the land of Arabia, Saudi Arabia, okay? So in Exodus 18.3, it says, And her two sons, of to whom one was named, by the way, before we begin, I want you to know that people say, well, you know, we need, how, do we, how do we handle uh, uh, issues with husband and wives? How do we handle issues with our kids? Let me tell you something. As we go through the Torah portion and the New Testament and the prophet each week, we're learning how to do that. God, there is nothing that we need to know that's not already laid out for us in his word on how to deal with all these things. The reason people are oblivious to it is they don't read the word. God's given the instructions how to walk and how to behave and how to take care of things, including our portion here is he's laying out the form of government that the worlds are still going by the way this was laid out. Isn't it interesting? Oh, we'll remember how to do the government form and how to do the judicial system, but ah, the rest of that stuff, we don't want to hear anything about it. Barry. I have a question. That is, sure. I'm not sure how to ask, but you're showing places that were burnt. Yes. And I always imagined, I'm not saying scripture said, I always imagined that the fire happened in a smaller one area, but you're showing a very large and more than one area. It, and is, is there script something to explain this, or how do you explain it? Or I, oh, I don't know how to ask it. Well, Sorry. it just says that he came down in fire and smoke and lightning, and everyone that's been to this place says you can see it from a distance that halfway up the mountain, it's normal like everything else, and when you get to this certain level, it's completely black from that part up, just completely charred. And you go up there and you turn the rocks over, and they're normal like they are lower, different. And so I'm just saying what it shows, geography, or the geography here is showing that there was some major burning going on. Now think about it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were right in the fire. Nothing happened. And so I believe God was protecting his, Moses, I mean, Moses is up in the mountain. He's got to be in the fire. The fire came down on the mountain. Yes. A little, little refreshing of your memory. Years ago, Mark brought this up, and it was on his Apple computer. And he said there was a little white spot and a bigger white spot where Moses, Eleazar, and Aaron stood, and then where the 70 elders stood. Ah. So if you look at that, the two different sizes of the spot, his was a little better in Google Earth, but I believe that's the situation. Yeah, that's when good. When the fire fell, the people, Moses and Eleazar and Aaron and the 70 elders, no fire harmed them. Yeah. Hallelujah. Not even a singe on their hair or their clothes. And you know what? The, the cloven tongues of fire was probably coming from the sparks of flames, right? Just coming down, but still not hurting, right? What an amazing sight that had to have been. Probably very scary. All right, so going on here. Her two sons, and one was Gershom, for Moses said, I'm a sojourner here. So you can see the word Gershom means a stranger. 
and it's really a gare and sham. And if you remember our our the games that we play in uh, at Hanukkah, you've got one of them that says sham, and the other one says, what's the other one? Huh? It's the, yeah, yeah, one here and one there. Yeah, I was trying to remember the other Hebrew word. Yeah, so that's on the dreidel. That's what the one rep, one letter represents the sham, meaning here, and the other one re- represents the pay, right? Po, meaning there. Yeah, pay. Oh, okay, I flipped around. Okay, okay. Sham is there. Po is here. Okay, got it. All right. So that's verse three. Verse four. The other was Eleazar, for he said, the Elohim of my father was my help. So Eleazar literally means my help. The only mention in Torah of Moses' second son, since only the one son is listed in chapter 2, it has been suggested that the story there stems from the J source and here from the E source. Interesting commentary from uh, the, the modern commentary from the Torah. All right. Verse 21. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who what? What did we just learn fearing God is? Keeping Torah, following the commands. You know, I used to look at that and think, these are guys who just you know, reverenced him. They just, no, they were keeping what he said. They were doing what he said. Men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain. And you shall place these men as leaders of thousands. You know, they, the, the nations have followed the formula of the government, but not this part here, because they're not putting people in position that are a men of truth following God's Torah and hate dishonest gain. They're actually the reverse of it. They love dishonest gain. What can I get today? So set these over them. Jethro suggests a hierarchy of judges similar to the organization of an army. The arrangement appears cumbersome and may be applied to the families rather than individuals. Interesting thought. Raise your hand if you have things to add to these portions. Yes, go ahead, Bob. Gives me a chance to take a drink. In Exodus 18, starting in verse 17 all the way to 22, it's eight traits of a godly leader. It lists out so 1817, he accepts criticism. 1818, recognizes his own limitations. 1819, heeds counsel. 1819, he prays. 1820, he warns, enlightens, and teaches. 1821, discerns others. 1822, delegates wisely. And 1822, trusts. And the key, I think, is churches today vote on who's going to lead them, and it's bottom up. Whereas this is a demonstration, it's top down. <laughs> and we know who the top is. Yeah, good word. <laughs> you know, we need someone in this community to volunteer to take those attributes, put them on a thing like what's on the back back here, and say these are the attributes of what God chooses to be leaders. That would be a great thing to have up here and display so that everyone sees it, reminds of this is what God's leaders look like. I think today the politicians have learned that if I (laughs) promise somebody something free or whatever, that they'll turn a blind eye to whatever wrong, whatever dishonesty, whatever I want to do as long as I give them something. 
I wonder if that was a similar problem through Israel's history where they promised them human you know, people are people. I don't think they? anything's new, is it? Yeah, we <laughs> see it. I mean, nothing changes. People are people. They're going to be the, the, they're doing the same thing today that they did then. So, yes, I would say same issues. Okay. Verse 16, when they have a dispute, it comes to me. I judge between a man and his neighbor and make known. So notice that he says, when I judge, as I judge, I'm going to make known the Torah. They're going to get a judgment, but I'm going to explain to them, expound the Torah to them as I bring judgment. Wow. If, if the master is like Moses, what do you think the master is going to do? And what did he do on the earth? Didn't he expound upon the Torah? Didn't he quote it? Yes, he did. Like Moses. So we are called as a kingdom of priests to bring to mind Elohim's laws in a dispute. Too much time. I think just want to hear the juicy gossip of a problem instead of bringing out the Torah in that situation. So I won't go through what make known is, but you can read here what it is. All right. The revelation. The words were uttered not for one people alone and not for one age, but for all peoples, for all generations until the end of time. The Ten Commandments were a renewal of the act of creation, inasmuch as man and all else that lives issued from the first act of creation. So the continuation of life depends on the second act of creation, the giving of the Torah. And just as the first act of creation made a division between chaos and order, so the second act of creation made a division between good and evil. And I think that's why it says to make known my Torah, because the Torah is going to be that, that sharp-edged sword that's going to make the division between what's right and wrong in the dispute, in the what's coming up. It's going to be that which separates, right? We need to keep that in our mind. From this day forth, there, were, there would be a center of reference, a line of conduct, a standard whereby to measure good and evil in all the corners of the earth for all men and for all generations till coming of the great day of Elohim. About 10 weeks after their deliverance, the people find themselves encamped before the holy mountain. And while the exodus from Egypt marked the birth of Israel, just like our awakening has marked the birth of Ephraim, as a physical nation, the experience at Sinai, which will now take place, provides the spiritual raison of the nation. At Sinai, God's will is disclosed to the people. Now notice this. He says, God's will is disclosed. We see people say, what is God's will? Right here, he's telling them what his will is. Here God concludes with a covenant with them. And here God promulgates the Torah that are to govern Israel's existence. Revelation, covenant, and Torah are the three pillars upon which the structure of the people's history is reared. Without them, Israel would have been a nation like other nations. With them, it became a focal point of human destiny. Wow. You want to know what your focal point is of your destiny? It's right in what God's awakening you to, right in the Torah here. That's the focal point of our destiny as a people. 
19.5 says, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant. Notice the clause, if. You shall be my omsegular, my, my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. So this word, segular, it means a property, a possession, but I, I like this, what it says down here at the bottom. It's a people, if you want to be God's possession, it's a people who fear the Almighty, meaning keep the Torah, and they become his peculiar possession, whom he will never forget, even in that time of great judgment, you shall not be forgotten. This wisdom teacher, Moses, becomes a historian, recalling how on the day of the assembly, the, the God of Horeb chooses a people. Thus all Israel became an assembly, which got translated later into church, an ecclesia, to be Yahweh's treasured possession, a people holy to him. Just as Yahweh chose only one from among the peoples, Abraham, so too he chooses only one cultic site. The Deuteronomistic Moses totally disregards the patriarchs, retaining only the promises and the oath that God swore to them. The sanctuaries reverence for their association with them in both north and south are condemned as hotbeds of immorality, and Moses eliminates them just as he would have pre preferred to eliminate the vanquished nations, and the Deuteronomistic Moses is highly exclusive. This sage sees his people forced to decide between life and death, and he would like to eliminate all the sources of death that spring from the nations and the false gods, which is what our master wants to do. So, original vines and grafted branches. You shall be to me a kingdom priest, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. We're the sons of Israel, aren't we? A kingdom priest is someone who's ministering to the rest of the, the humanity. This represented a huge and unique idea. All the people, and not merely a selected segment, would have a special religious task to bring God's words and his character to the people. That's your calling. That is what you've been called to do. Elohim has made many choices up to this point, and he's going to make more. A kingdom of priests, a light to the world, a holy nation to teach the world his glory, the pure, the clean, the set apart. So when you look at what a priest does, then you see what God is calling a whole kingdom of them to represent him to be to the nations. That's what you are. And that's what he's training you to be. Because when it comes time, when everything hits the fan, you're going to be called to be these people to be the light to the nations that are be, what's going on? What are we to do? Everything is in chaos. Yes. In this section right here, um, 19.4 through 8, Moses is serving as the friend of the bridegroom. We're preparing for a wedding here. He's going back and forth, back and forth. Which God's, is what John says he is. Yep, he's speaking of the covenant. Then he goes into verse 10. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today 
and tomorrow let them wash their garments. And then you look at 11, because it says, and let them be ready for the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So in this 4 through 8, 9, 10, and 11, it's Moses interacting as the friend of the bridegroom, telling the people, let's get ready, wash our garments. He's coming back. Be ready on the third day. Awesome. Hallelujah. Praise the Most High. Elohim says that you serve me by bringing the world back to me. I want you to think about something. Think of four million people that came out of Egypt. Some are blood descendants of Abraham. Some are not. He purchased them. How many people do you think that has multiplied to out of that four million in 4,000 years? It's an amazing number, isn't it? That's the seed. That's the people. And a humongous portion of them are wayward, are obstinate, are apostate. They have wandered away. But God hasn't forgotten them. God's not given up yet. I don't know when the clock starts on the 17 or the 23 years He's going to give for the repentance. There's going to be a time for the world to say, hey, and it's going to be obvious. It was obvious to the nation of Israel that the prophet was sent and he gave them the word from the Almighty. The world is going to hear it. The world is going to get it. And because otherwise they could say, oh, wait a minute, you didn't give us a fair enough warning. He's not that kind of judge. He's going to give them a fair warning that's going to be a witness to the world that I give you warning in advance to repent. And I think that the warning has started with you as being the light of what God's people should do. You're the spark. You're the spark on that lamp that's lighting the light to be the light to the nations of what a people of Elohim should look like and how they should act. That's why it's so important of how our conduct is, not only here, but what our conduct is when we walk outside of this building, when we're at home, when we're by ourselves, when, when, the, when the door slams on our finger. When, when the person cuts you off, when, you, when you're getting trashed on the freeway, you know, whenever the, the job's not going right, whenever the things at home aren't going right, when the kids are doing this and that, when you don't get the raise, when money situations are there, how are you acting as a kingdom of priests? Remember your calling. Yes. Um, I don't have my notes, but... You're like so we're a kingdom of priests, and one of the things that the priest did was judge or rule. <laughs> and um, if you go back in uh, before the Exodus, there was because I looked I looked a little bit into like the judicial system, and there was something called the Father's House, where the um, the person that was either the oldest, widest, the grandfather or the father. They brought the problems to him, and he's the one that made the judgment. And we see this throughout Scripture. But came a point where, you know, the children were in um, Egypt, and they grew to hundreds of thousands, and they were brought out of Egypt. Um, they um, were, 
we're, uh, you know, when Jethro said, um, you can't do this all by yourself. You got to assign people to do this for you. That's right. Um, that, so that's when the, the Jitsu system went, it grew further. And then when they uh, were on Mount Sinai, when they agreed to follow the laws and the statutes, um, that's when the nation, I believe, was born. And when you have a nation, you have to have a written law. And, um, but the, um, when, they, uh, when Israel was scattered, Judah was scattered, we no longer have active working priests anymore. So is it possible that we have to go back down to that um, father's house and we, as individuals, because we're all priests, we have to be that, that to make those rulings and then we go out into the world as a shining light as priests and we, we don't judge them, but we bring the light to them. But he, but he says you're going to. It says in Ezekiel, that my priests are going to teach the nations the difference between clean and unclean, holy and profane. And you, you hit a point there that we all need to remember and understand here. As you said, you're going to judge. Could you imagine any of you, someone grabs you and says, you know, someone at the court grabs you and says, you know what, you're going to judge the 10 cases that come up before the court today. And they set you in the judge seat and you're going, well, wait a minute, I, I got to have the law book. I, I need to know what the law says. I can't judge unless I know what the law says. So neither can God's people judge unless they know what his law says. It can't be done. And that's why I think you, right now it's happening. You're, you're, be, you're in training to know the law so that you can be that person he's calling to be. I don't, I don't know how many times I've been I'm told, like, well, you're just like a Pharisee. <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, yeah. So we are judges, and we are the shining light as priests. You know, like, I don't know, maybe we go have to go back to the Father's house, and we have that responsibility. We have to be that wise person, that we have the truth, we have the light. So people, whether they come to us or not, we have to show them the truth. You know, who did the Master send? He sent the ones that had been with him for all of this time, walking with him, eating with him, knowing him and being instructed, being taught, he sent those that were now faithful in his instructions, he sends them now to go out and do the work because they know the Torah. They know what it is. They, they've been instructed by the, the living word himself. Yes. So we've been going through this journey, starting at Passover, and then all the way through, we went through the Exodus, we went through the Red Sea, and then after the Red Sea, the bitter water, and then the 12 palm trees and or the, the 12 springs and the tw uh, 70 palms and then um the manna and the rock the water and then amalek was destroyed right yep. okay yep. so then we get to yitro and in the very beginning of the um passages it says moshe's father-in-law heard about all that god had done for moshe but then in verse 8, it says, Moshe told his father-in-law all that God had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians. So um, what that means is Yitro heard what was going on um, in the rumblings around about the Passover and the Exodus, right? But when he got to the camp and, and spoke with Moses, Moses then told them about God saving them from 
Pharaoh, and Amalek. And um, there's four times that the word rescued or saved is used in this passage. And each time it says, um, Adonai had rescued them. Um, he, say, he, he rescued them, and he rescued you, and he rescued the people. And then that same word is used in um, Eliezer's name where it says, uh, because God, the God of my father, helped me to rescue me from Pharaoh's sword. And so the reason why we just now learn about Eliezer's name is to emphasize this point, that Yitro um, now found out about how wonderful God's saving was. So, um, and then it goes on to talk about, hello? And it goes on to talk about, um, now I know that this is God. That's in, in, in all the references to Yitro, it says Yitro, Moshe's father-in-law. But when he, when he finds out after what Moshe, Moshe tells him about the saving, what God did to save them from Amalek, then he stands on his own. Now he's his own person. So here's this Midian, Midian um, priest that is coming into the camp and learning what God actually did for them. And then he um, says, now I know that this is the real God, because he had followed all kinds of idols and everything. And um, then, uh, then after he, oh, and all of this comes after Amalek has been taken care of. And Amalek is a picture of our flesh. So in the big scheme of things, in the big picture, um, once Amalek is taken care of, then God's kingdom is set up. And he has to um, have priests within his kingdom. Awesome. And um, then after, after he um, does this, then he gets to do a, a, a burnt offering and a sacrifice and sit with the leaders of God's people. Wow. Beautiful. Beautiful picture. Awesome. That's really awesome. Thank you. All right. I've got two other slides and then we're closed. But with the shadows of divine judgment looming, Yahuwah uses the prophet Zephaniah to muster tireless trust in God's faithfulness to preserve and ultimately satisfy his believing remnant. One of the greatest motivations Zephaniah provides for seeking and waiting for Elohim comes in his glorious vision of hope that is held out for all who persevere in faith. Part of this promise is found in the last verse, which begins with specifically at that time of the day of Yahuwah, when Yahuwah removes the proud and preserves the God-dependent. When the saving king's irreversible victory gives rise to shouts of joy from those rescued. And when Yahweh both delivers and takes delight in his remnant, at that time, Yahweh will rally his redeemed together for a key reason. Whoa, that's what we're going to see. And would you stand with me? called to be priests, and our duty is to walk and live by his instructions which teach us every aspect of life. The NASB, the ESV, and NIV all treat the admiration and acclaim of Shem, the name, uh, and to praise as something the remnant of 
Israel receives from the onlooking world. I will give you renown, honor, and praise among all the peoples of the earth. He's going to give you renown, honor, and praise among the people. I will make you renowned and praised among the peoples of the earth. Elsewhere, Elohim promises to exalt his own before the world's eyes, fulfilling their original mission. His people will stand as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, mediating and displaying God's greatness to the world. And Elohim will give them a new and exalted name. A new name. Can you imagine rejecting that name and saying, you know what? I like the name I had before. Can it be Mark? New name Web? Can I can I have can I can I can retain my old name there? You know what? If I retain the old name, I'm retaining the old nature. Hmm. The ultimate end of new covenant transformation is worship. All things are from Elohim, through Elohim, and to God. The new creation now inaugurated through Messiah, his assembly, is about him. It is about his glory. It's about his son, his greatness, his exaltation among all the peoples of the planet. May your life be marked by the matchless worth of Elohim in Messiah that all may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's through the priesthood that you're called to be. And I have one last slide. So remember the Master says, well, let me read this. Moses boldly asserts that he is teaching with divine authority, as the Lord my God commanded me. If you're a priest, you're doing the same. As Messiah said, I do as my father does. He identifies two distinctive characteristics that will make Israel unique among all nations. This is how you guys are unique. No other nation has such a relationship with their gods as you people have with the Most High. And two, no other nation has such righteous decrees and a Torah as the body of Torah I am setting before you today. By obeying these, this is commentary, I love it. By obeying these Torahs, Israel would be known for their wisdom and understanding among the nations. These two distinctives, the presence of Elohim with Israel and the Torah of Elohim in Israel, will attract the attention of surrounding nations and provide the opportunity to fulfill your mission as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So you don't need to try to convert anyone. It's his Torah in you and his presence will attract the people to you. Amen and amen. Father, we thank you for this awesome, encouraging word that you have called us to be this kingdom of priests and how we're to do it, you've made it clear. And Father, may we be diligent, may we be trustworthy and faithful to walk in the, the, the instructions you've given on how to be this kingdom of priests. We thank you for enlightening us, encouraging us, lifting us up, strengthening us, 
And we thank you for the enlightening revelation of your words. We praise you and glorify you. In your son Yeshua's name, amen. Now we get to say, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Hey. Thank you all here. Have a blessed rest of your Shabbat. Shabbat Shalom.